Welcome back to the Right to Food podcast. I'm Shane and I'm part of a team of young food ambassadors from across the country working with the Food Foundation to create better access to good food for everyone. Each week on the Right to Food podcast, we find out how COVID has revealed so many gaps in the system that we want fixed. But before we meet my colleagues Rabia and Janai, who are taking us to Brighton this week, a word from Dame Emma Thompson. Hello, I'm very honoured to be one of the ambassadors for the Food Foundation's Right to Food campaign. And I'm honoured because all my fellow ambassadors are young people who have lived experience of what it's like to be on the breadline. And COVID-19 has revealed serious gaps in our food system. And these kids are determined to do whatever they can to grab the government's attention and to change the way in which we provide for Britain's most vulnerable children. You've probably seen them join forces with Marcus Rashford's campaign to end child poverty. But here in these podcasts, you can hear the real life stories behind the statistics. I do urge you to listen. They're incredibly powerful and moving and actually inspiring stories by some very powerful, moving and inspiring young people. Enjoy. Thank you. And thanks for your help. Hi, I'm Janai. And I'm Rabia. This week, we're here from parents in Brighton who have found a lifeline at the Black and Minority Ethnic Community Partnership, or BMECP Food Bank. I'm, I'm feeling for my kids, but also I'm feeling like I'm sad if I find my kids. They like something, I can't buy for them. But now with the food banks, they can help the children. They, they make the children happy as well. A report by the University of Sheffield and King's College London mapped the rise in food insecurity across the country during the early phase of COVID-19. It found a scale and a complexity not seen in recent times in the UK. Juliet Sajtelico is the project manager at the Weekly Food Bank, where many underrepresented people in the community have found somewhere that really understands their particular needs. This is a BME community centre, so most people are coming from the black minority ethnic group. And um, as we all know, looking at statistics, this is the most affected group with this pandemic. I mean, many people lost their jobs, and most of them, they have families, like children. So when this happened, they didn't know where to go. Plus the students, we have two huge universities here, that is Sussex University and Brighton University. And when the lockdown happened, they were, they were, they were cut off from their families because not everything was frozen. They couldn't get any support from their families. So they were like left alone somehow, somewhere. However much the universities, they had uh, food banks within the university, but they didn't focus on cultural food. And that's what we are focusing on now. So basically, we focus on cultural food to meet those needs within our community. Juliet explains why it's so important that people should be able to get culturally appropriate foods. I'll give you an example. If I'm, I'm going to serve someone who is like from the Middle East, then if I look at that name, I know their common food is maybe couscous, you know, and flour. And then... If I look at someone who is like from Afro-Caribbean or Africa, then I know rice has to be there. And then if I look at someone who is from maybe uh, Poland or somewhere else, then I have to think about things like pasta. If someone is coming from Italy, you know, such things. Whereas other food banks, they're like just doing something which is general, 
you know, which I, I can't blame them because they don't know until when we tell them that, hey, I prefer rice than pasta, you know. So, yeah, we are focusing on those areas by looking at the names and the area of those people they are coming from. Johnny and his family came to Brighton from Syria three years ago after the war. He lost his part-time job when COVID struck, forcing him to rely on Brighton's table tennis club, Food Bank, to help him feed his family. Like so many people who have fled their home country, their food is about much more than what's on their plate. It is a part of their identity. You can hear the pride in Johnny's voice. We eat uh, Syrian food because we used to to cook in, in, in Syria and the uh, the Syrian food or the Arabic food in general is, is very delicious. I would recommend everyone to try some, one, one day. It's really delicious. They only eat Syrian food and rice is a key part of the dishes throughout their day. We eat together um, on a breakfast time for I take my daughter to school. And when she came back from the school, uh, my wife prepared the lunch like a rice on the Syrian way. It's really delicious. Uh, we use the rice with a lot of uh, meals. To be honest, is uh, we find a little bit expensive, but sometimes, sometimes we find in uh, Arabic Arabic store that is here. Uh, and they provide a lot of uh, Arabic stuff, like in my country, in Syria. Actually, sometimes we find the, the meat, the red meat, is uh, expensive as well. If I, try, if I try to find the same prices, to be honest, uh, or to compare the prices here or my country, I think here is more expensive. Johnny is studying English before he can resume the profession that he loves. I work as an electrician in my, in, in my country, in Syria, for a long time, for 15 years. And uh, I, what the problem I found here, I can't work without I get a certificate in electrician or qualified in, in, in electrician. So they said you have to finish like a, a, a specific level in English and then you can uh, apply for electrician course. But at the moment, while I'm studying, uh, I can't now uh, afford the, 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 the money toward the food. So we went to the, we go to the food bank and they help they help us and they help everyone. To be honest, we we are uh, so grateful for everyone work there for help for uh, everything. And maybe next next September, I finish all all the English level that I study at the moment, and maybe can apply for electrician. Julia understands how important good food is to these families and buys in the best that they can get. But Fair Share, the charity that distributes surplus food from supermarkets to many food banks across the UK, cannot provide enough foods that she needs to give their ethnic members. So what we do, we get our deliveries from Fair Share, and then we see how much have they given us. You know, like, I think this time we have about 60 adults this week, 
and it's 44 children. So we cannot get each and everything from fair share. So basically when we receive their delivery, then we see what to top up. I have to check what they have delivered to us and then go and buy from the big stores to top up. That top up money we get, for example, from Brighton and Hove, Amex, National Lottery, we use it to top up. Plus, we have families who have got special needs in terms of food. People come out and say, I don't eat this because my children are allergic to ABCD. So we try to meet those needs by using that money to go and purchase what is missing. Hussein, a 19-year-old Iraqi-Pakistani student from Dubai at the University of Sussex, is busy making up the food parcels each week with the rest of the team. Um, so over here, basically what we do is we come in, we, um, we collect the deliveries, we sort it out in the packaging rooms. We've got a list um, and we get, um, we get one every week um, that tells us how many families we've got, how many children and adults are each, in each family, all the dietary requirements, the ages of the kids all the relevant information and then we look at the list and we make relevant parcels depending on all the criteria. So people in the BAME community often have um, certain requirements, for example Muslims such as myself, we only eat halal meat. Um, so we make sure to adhere to every single person depending on the cultural needs. For example we make sure all Muslims get halal food, all people from um, Indian background um, they don't eat meat, so we make sure they don't, they don't eat meat. And any other requirements or allergies that anyone might have, we make sure every single parcel is specific to their needs. And that's changing. As COVID affects more and more families, Julia is there to welcome them in. I mean, when we started, we are having so many single people, you know. But then, currently, I'm having a lot of referrals of families, you know. At the moment, we are serving about uh, 44 children a week. Well, as when we started, it was like 12 to 20, you know. But now we are having more families coming in, you know. People talking to other people and say there's a service here, you know, you can go in and have some food. And even us promoting it, telling people, we are here to serve you. You don't need to be shy or to be ashamed of this. We are going through this together. Wada is from Yemen and finds the attention to each family's needs goes way beyond cultural foods. You know, one of the reasons why I approach this food bank in particular because I found a lot of care about, uh, you know, it's mostly for my son whose uh, nutrition is very fickle about uh, eating uh, certain foods and I found the variety this food bank provides. Um, you know, I, every week I bring him something new that he's interested in eating. Uh, but not only that, they showed interest, for example, asking me about my baby nappy size uh, and mostly formula. Despite winning a scholarship to study here and working a part-time job, COVID changed everything and he suddenly needed help. It was something he wasn't used to. Before coming to the UK, I was not used to this idea. I was working full time before. I didn't have the need to do it. But I was surprised. I mean, I had anticipated it, but I'd, I was surprised with how expensive the UK is. And especially how expensive it is to bring a child, you know. And especially with the situation where people lost their job, I could... I could really understand why people would come to, you know, a food bank to get a variety of food and especially baby supplies that will otherwise cost a fortune, you know, to, um, 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 uh, uh, to do it on your own. And I understand all people will depend on the food banks all their lives. But at a certain situation, when you are, you know, a couple of parents and a child and a student and not working, this 
really was very essential. It helped me a lot. I still buy food, of course, uh, but the food basket that I get from here supplements, you know, the food that we have, and it has really helped me reduce a lot of the uh, the, the cost that I had to you know work extra uh, to get. Um, but now we're managing good, I think. Like so many people who come to food banks for their food packages every week, Wada smashes the stereotypes. I have been working in Yemen for the past 15 years, um, mainly focused on humanitarian relief because uh, the country is struck by its worst war in its history. Uh, that's what I have been uh, doing and I've been involved, for example, in uh, food security, uh, nutrition for children in addition to health care, uh, resilience building, conflict resolution, all that kind of work. And I came to University of Sussex last year to do my master's degree uh, before going back and hopefully get a job in the humanitarian field again. With the scholarship, his own savings and a part-time job, he had been able to look after his family until COVID. So I was working in university as an um, international uh, students uh, like advisor whenever new students come, help with the correspondence, do tours uh, on campus and all that. And, uh, but since COVID struck and then I lost my uh, part-time job and I didn't realise how expensive it is to raise a child. And with so many volunteers from different communities, Wada is finding welcome parenting advice as well as new discoveries about his own child. I think he's he's a vegetarian at one year old right now because he does that's what <laughs> that's what he only eats, you know. He's um, so that's why the reason I come here. Was also the characters you know I've met here like Juliet, uh, Louis, uh, Sarah. They are very kind people. They are very meticulous about asking me, you know. Uh, what the baby eats, what this, and they've given me some surprisingly free advice about uh, how to, you know, what kind of um, um, like uh, solid food to try to give the baby, you know, to develop his, you know, texture, uh, uh, sensing, etc. Was, was really that's like an added kind of bonus. It's a complex picture of need for many migrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. Many are outside the system with no recourse to public funds. There are often issues with language and, for many, fear of authority. When we started, there was a system in Brighton and Hope, like a central referral system, which was going via the council, right? But then in that system, I don't think they were getting so many people from within the BME communities. And it came to my attention, so many people were scared, most especially those ones who are having issues with the home office, to face the council, because they think when I go there... Maybe I'll be in trouble, something of that sort. I've had cases whereby people walk in and say, do you ask for passports? And I say, no. What about my proof of uh, address? And I say, no. Are you sure? I say, yes. Okay, then they'll tell you their story, you know. So there is a group of people who are like maybe here illegally or something of that sort. But then, hey, they need something to eat. And some of them, they have children. Just because they don't qualify to public funds, you know, that one doesn't mean that they can go without food with their little ones. This is the place where those people, they feel like they are free to come in without, you know, hiding themselves from the the authority or something of that sort. So when they come here, they don't need to explain themselves. They feel part of the community. Lily, not her real name is from the Middle East. She didn't want to say where. She was referred to BMECP by her health visitor to get help feeding her six children between the ages of 15 and 2. The kids are thrilled with the food she brings home now every Friday. 
We have fruits here, as you can see, apples, bananas, oranges. It's amazing. They say, wow, it's amazing, mom. It's a good idea. And also they, they're so happy about what they found. It's surprised to them because some things I can't buy it, but I found in the food with the food bank, it's, I found it. My kids, they like um, pasta, some the sauce. They like uh, the vegetables. They love food. And also they like the breakfast one. It's the different kind of breakfast. Sometimes I can't buy all things. Why? Now I found most of the things I can have it at home. That's good things. Lily finds that the food bank has halved the weekly shopping spend. I know usually I buy some things for them, but I mean, like, when I buy, when I get the food bank, I more help. Usually I buy, like, twice a week. Now I can go just a week. That's good things. Mm. That's because Julia and her team find out exactly what should go into each and every food bag before they're collected. Yeah, we have the papers. Potatoes, carrots, then in here we have sugar, uh, chili, sweet chili, which is important to some, you know, people. For example, if you're from um, Caribbean or Africa, Indian. If someone hears a food bank, which is a BME food bank, you feel like you belong there. And if they walk in, and they meet us here, they feel like connected. It's more easy for them even to come out and talk about other issues, like emotional issues, and us to make them feel like it's okay, it's acceptable. So environment is also important. Leave alone having the courage of food, but also the environment where you get the food from. It is also important, yeah. A new joint report by Child Poverty Action Group and Church has warned of significant deterioration in living conditions for low-income families due to COVID. For Lily, not being able to feed her children is heartbreaking. I'm, I'm feeling for my kids, but also I'm feeling like I'm sad. If I find my kids, they like something I can't buy for them. But now the food banks can help the children. They, they make the children happy as well, not just a mom. Lily only qualifies for one of her six children to get free school meals. I have kids um, in secondary school, so I have to pay for school meal. The little one, she has a, f- uh, she has a free school meal. It's a particular problem during the holidays. It's difficult because the kids will stay home. They eat a lot more than usually. Uh, when the children are hungry, they tell me, Mommy, no food to eat. So... I feel very sad. I say, try find something. They say, I can't find anything to eat. We need support for the kids more than now. Because I can't see the kids, it's more difficult. I find a lot of things. The system in here, they change it for a lot for the, for either for the payment for the kids. They change it, they cut it. They, if you have more than three kids, you can't take the child tax. It's... It's make the big families difficult. Juliette knows how hard it can be to feed her own children during the holidays. Um, I'll give you an example, and this is my personal experience. For example, I mean, I can afford to feed my children, but when it is school holidays, I have more burden to feed them. When they go to school, at least I know lunchtime is being worked on. I'll only think about supper, right? But then when this started and the schools were closed, for the parent to stay with children 24-7 at home and feeding them breakfast, lunchtime, supper, it was a challenge. And that is one of the points why I decided to start this food bank. 
I was talking to one of my friends. She's from um, Brazil, right? And then the husband is doing some cleaning job. That job was cut off. And then she said, how am I going to manage my children? I can't afford this. I don't know how I'm going to manage them, you know. So there is that challenge with children, extra challenge. If you're like by yourself, you can't say, I'm going to have a cup of tea and that's it. Children, they will not understand it. They will just keep on saying, mom, bread. Mom, I want this. And then you feel that pain, you know. So that's why I say to myself, Juliet, get out of your house go and do something, you know. If you have a voice and you can write and you can plead to people to bring in these donations, do it and make sure those families, those children, they have something to eat. Students have also found difficulty getting access to good food during COVID. Many locked down in halls have complained about the low quality food provided to them by their universities and how they have been charged hundreds of pounds for meal packages that include baked beans and instant noodles. Abraham is one of the lucky ones. During the first lockdown, he joined the Sussex Nigerian Society at the University of Sussex, which looks after its members' needs, from mental health to food. I realised that they had a partnership with BMUCP, and we were referred there to get um, food, especially during the COVID-19 lockdown, and where many of us couldn't like, get part-time jobs. And so it's been really very helpful, you know, to use it as a support system. Like for me, it feels more like community than feeling like nam me down. I mean, I feel like, especially when I need things like plantain, which is something I like a lot. <laughs> and yeah, I really like to come here and also meet the people and talk. For Hussein, volunteering at BMECP is about much more than putting together food parcels. To me, it's about um, helping people in need, because obviously, um, especially in the climate, there's a lot of struggling people um, in the community, and I've got a lot of free time, so I just thought if there's something I can do to help, I might as well do it. I feel like there's a strong kind of family sense, and I feel like we've all come from similar backgrounds, and I think it's nice to have people kind of understand where you've come from and the kind of stuff you've um, grown up around. Julia is humbled by the impact the food bank has had in her community. They describe us like heroes. Uh, you've saved me. You've saved my children. You, you know, so many things. And then some of them, they have children with special needs, whereby they eat special stuff. Then they can come out and put you on a side and say, is it possible, you know? But then with the funding, we can meet those needs for those families. So for me to sit down and say, Family X, at least they managed to get this particular food which they can feed their child who cannot eat this because of an allergy or something of that sort, makes me feel good. But at the same time, that family also feels good. It wouldn't have been possible to meet the multi-layered needs of the black and ethnic minority community of Brighton and Hove without the help and funding of donations. We are so glad that we managed to get some funders or some people interested in helping us funding this project. Uh, Brighton Council, Brighton and Hove Council, uh, fair share. They're doing a brilliant job from day one. You know, we do get deliveries on a weekly basis. And then for, uh, Brighton and whole food partnership. And we've got some funding from um, uh, organizations like uh, Sussex Community Foundation, uh, National Lottery, um, Amex, and then the public, you know, the well-wishers. And Juliet was really keen to thank her local MP. 
Yeah, Caroline Lucas is our MP here in Brighton and Hove, and the Green Party have been so helpful, like in terms of donating, at least every month we get a donation from them. So thank you very much, Green Party. For Lily and Johnny, the Brighton food banks make an enormous difference to their families. Uh, this place, I found this massive big food for my kids. They make, it, they make my kids very, very happy with this one. Thank you so much for everyone in here. We thank everyone hey, there. God, they help help all the people, a British or Syrian or refugee, doesn't matter. No specific religion or no specific people for everyone. The COVID-19 virus has changed our world in many ways. We are more determined than ever to explain why the government must do everything it can to ensure that every child in the UK has access to a better diet. Marcus Rashford's End Child Food Poverty campaign shows the importance of listening to children and vulnerable families who have shared their experience of food poverty. It's not an easy thing to talk about, but it's so important. And we can see that the government is now finally noticing and listening to their voices and changing their policies. It's also hugely raised awareness right around the UK. The good news is that the government has now pledged £400 million that will improve the lives of more than 1.7 million children over the next 12 months. But we still have a long way to go to ensure that no child in the UK suffers from food insecurity or goes hungry. We've updated our Right to Food Charter recently and our team of ambassadors will continue to fight to make sure that every child in the UK gets access to good, healthy food. We'd love it if you could have a look at our work and support us at foodfoundation.org.uk and follow us, Right to Food, on our social media. And of course, please keep listening to and sharing our podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Mm. It's a bit shy.